everyone and welcome to episode 13 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna and I will be your host as always. Um, Today's episode will be called Racism as Riot and oftentimes the thing we're speaking about, the race riots of 1919, um, are referred to as race riots. Um, However, Peter Fryer, who wrote the amazing and incredible book Staying Power um, about the history of black people in Britain, His subtitle of his chapter detailing this is called Racism as Riot 1919 and I think it makes more sense for it to be referred to as that as opposed to race riots because race riots are often the name given to any kind of protest that spirals out of control um, in regards to black people and white people or different ethnic groups of people um, clashing with white people due to their racism um and i think it's it's probably more it's probably more appropriate to refer to it as racism as a riot because that's exactly what it was and we'll we'll get into the episode shortly this episode will contain violence and death um and things of that nature so it may not be suitable for younger audiences um just as a content warning um however i will you know try my best to to make it um, as, as upbeat as possible. Um, but the thing is with black history um, in Britain, it tends to be sometimes quite violent, um, especially in regards to, to riots um, and the backlash that black communities faced in Britain from, from white British people um, and other white people actually, as we'll all get into this episode. So following on from last episode, where we ended up at the end of World War One and we were thinking about some of those uh, men that served during World War One. Today we will be looking at the aftermath of World War One, especially in regards to um, black British seamen um, and seafarers that were kind of left in Britain at the end of the war with um, not much to do. We should be thinking, why? You know, the ex-servicemen, they've given their, you know, time, their energy, their efforts to Britain to fight to fight this worthy cause in this great war. Um, Some have lost their lives, many have lost limbs. Um, And here they are in Britain, you know, wanting to continue their work, seafaring. But unfortunately, nobody wanted to hire black people anymore. And the war was won and Britain had decided that they didn't really need black people anymore. So that wartime boom for black labour fizzled out um, as quickly as it had begun, in the words of Peter Fryer. So, The companies that were hiring people to do that kind of work um, after the war, they would prioritise the labour of of white people. And that wasn't just white British people, it was also like white Scandinavian people and people who were kind of left over, essentially, not necessarily British people, but were left over after fighting the war and and still in Britain and looking for work. And so there were unions um, and the unions were you know not really there to support um, the black men they were there to to ensure that white people had work essentially Um, and so they were left kind of destitute as and they I mean black people um, the the ex-servicemen they were left without jobs they were left without anywhere to live because they had no money um, and a lot of them would pawn their clothes off to, to get enough money to eat or to find lodging for a night. Many were homeless, many were crippled because they had lost limbs in the war. Um, and they were kind of in an impossible situation where nobody would hire them. Um, and so they couldn't get any money so that they couldn't really go back to even the countries that they were from initially because they didn't have money for the fare. 
Um, there were like drives to repatriate some of them. Um, I think that's where the government would pay for their their fare back to to their home countries. Um, but that wasn't the case, and obviously, right after at the end of the war, that wasn't really a priority, um, because there were probably bits of Britain that needed to be rebuilt. This impacted a lot of the port cities, so Cardiff. Liverpool, um, I think Glasgow gets a mention here in regards to these riots that, you know, come in the aftermath of um, this kind of excess black labour um, who who can't can't work and can't get jobs. Um, I thought I would read out um, a letter to the colonial office from William P. Samuels, who was um, a seaman who was stranded in Cardiff um, from British Guyana originally, who had, you know, fought in the war, or not necessarily fought on the front lines, but um, as a seaman, as a seafarer, so on a naval ship, whether that was, um, you know, doing different different jobs on a naval ship. Um, his letter reads, We kindly beg to appeal to you for justice. We are seafaring men that have served this country faithfully in her past difficulties, either in the services of His Britannic Majesty or in Mercantile Marine. The places of our birth are surely British possessions or protectorates, and here in Great Britain which is the capital of the British Empire, we are badly treated by the British people. We do not want any favour. All we want is fair play. Every morning we go down to shipping offices to find ourselves work, so as to make an honest bread and are bluntly refused on account of our colour, whereas foreigners of all nationality get the preference. This is not only in Cardiff, but throughout the United Kingdom. What is the British motto? Are we not men and brothers whom Christ died for? Why take such filthy advantages of men who have done you no wrong? Is it because we have no one to fight our cause? Why treat us as mere brutes? Is it because we are mere dogs which neither bark nor bite? No, sir, we are men, men that gives the British Empire little or no trouble. We kindly ask to step before foreigners on any British ship. So just to give a quick analysis of that letter from William P. Samuels to the colonial office, he is, you know, he starts saying, we, we kindly beg to appeal for your justice. He wants justice. He has obviously just fought in the war um, and now he's appealing to the colonial office for better treatment um, in Britain. You know, we're badly treated by the British people, he says. We don't want favour, we just want fair play. He ends the letter talking about um, well, the letter ends the in the extract that I have, um, where he asks, we kindly ask to step before foreigners on any British ship. Um, and I think that's alluding to the idea that there were European um, people in, in Britain who were also seafarers that were getting preferential treatment, and that was due to their whiteness, um, because the issue wasn't with working with foreigners, it was working with black people. That was what white, white British people had issue with, um, which then it kind of I guess solidifies the fact that race was a problem and not nationality um, as some people would like to argue that oh yeah it's because you know maybe they were different they're from a different place well no they were British citizens um, they had just served Britain in the war yet other European people um, were having preferential treatment over that and, and they weren't happy with that at all um, and that he notes that you know it's not just in Cardiff where he's he's obviously based it's in other cities and we will look at Liverpool as our kind of main place 
to understand these race riots and to understand how widespread they were and how big of a problem um you know the surplus of black labor became in britain after the first world war which is quite a different narrative in some ways to, to after the second world war where there is um i guess more of a demand for a wider range of black people to to fix britain's britain's country so following the end of world war one in liverpool there was a lot of uh, di- job dissatisfaction amongst white workers who obviously you know the amount of available work after a war is obviously not as much um, as during the war especially um, as a seaman um, and so there became like a resentment of the presence of black people and black labor there um, and also there was an element of of these black people especially there were majority black men i don't really think I know of any black women, um, I don't want to write them out because history does that enough, um, but the presence was was mostly black men and there was kind of this idea that there was a, well, it was an idea, um, a threat essentially to, to white masculinity because relationships began to occur with black men and white women um, and that common narrative of, oh, stealing our jobs, stealing our women, stealing our houses, that came up again um, and there was just a lot of dissatisfaction between, I'd say, white white men especially those who were looking to work as seafarers and that sort of thing and would have been working and living in Liverpool to do so um so the black population of the city obviously grew um due to ex-servicemen kind of finding themselves there after the war and the black seafarers that were discharged um so it kind of rose between estimates say between 2,000 and 5,000 which obviously isn't that you know big in today's terms when we look at the size of some of um, Britain's major cities however at that time to see that many black faces um, was obviously quite quite a big issue Um, so a significant portion of them would obviously have been unemployed um, and white workers were refusing to work alongside of black workers and so a kind of I guess a colour bar essentially was imposed supported by trade unions who also backed white workers decisions and demands to to not have to work with black people um and so that just led to obviously less and less black people being hired um in these in these roles and so as i said before many couldn't return home they couldn't work um they couldn't eat um and they were destitute um a lot of them were essentially homeless i think in liverpool there was a report that said around 500 to 600 black men, mostly discharged British soldiers and sailors, were out of work, stranded in the area and anxious to go home. Some, practically starving, um, had been obviously refused work on account of their colour. Um, you know, there was calls for the colonial office to repatriate them and get, like allow them to go back home and pay for that and fund that. Um, however, that obviously hadn't happened yet. Um, but the mayor also received... Um, complaints about you know the fact that there were about 5,000 jobless um, white ex-servicemen who were not happy with the presence of black workers I think that to me it sounds like they must have been bored because they didn't have jobs Um, you know they were they're probably struggling for money we've just had a war Um, and so now these the presence of these black workers who aren't actually black workers because they're struggling to find work or not being allowed to work are causing them a problem for whatever reason well we know what the reason is racism um and so there's a lot of tension in liverpool um in regards to race and 
the police the police the police the police the police obviously had to be part of this story they are always there when there is racial tension <laughs> they're like orchestrators of it i feel like there's not been one one podcast episode where i've spoken about negative race relations and the police haven't popped up somewhere we're not talking about the london metropolitan police today we're talking about liverpool liverpool police they did very little to lessen the tension obviously why would they instead they just harassed black men who were allegedly running an illegal gambling house sounds very much mangrovey to me um but are we surprised absolutely not so the police who are obviously there to protect you know to look after the population um obviously have their own prejudices about black people and are acting on them they also might feel similar to some of the um white ex-servicemen who are now jobless and um you know also looking for work um and so we get to may um may 1919 so the war ended november 1918 so this is um you know a good few months on from that um and on the 4th of june um well sorry in may there were just a lot of attacks on black men essentially um white people were just simply attacking them um and this was obviously leading to fights because you know they weren't necessarily going to take it lying down um and so they would try and support each other even though some of them were crippled and had you know singular limbs um they tried to kind of physically support each other get involved in the fights um but they just kept happening again and again and so on the 4th of june um two scandinavians as i said it wasn't just white british people it was kind of a whole whole wider spectrum um, of white people um they stabbed um, a west indian man john johnson um because he refused to give them a cigarette um that level of entitlement is absolutely beyond me but i think that just kind of shows you the power um of whiteness at that time um and the fact that they knew that they could probably get away with something like that with very few repercussions um to stab someone over not giving them a cigarette but trust me i think we can all understand and know that if john johnson um was white british and not west indian um he wouldn't have been stabbed over something like that and if he had um justice in some some degree would have been served anyway he was severely wounded in the face and the news spread quickly the next evening his friends eight of them went to a pub that the scandinavians used um threw beer over a group of them attacked them with sticks knives razors and pieces of sharp iron taken from lampposts they knocked unconscious a policeman uh, who tried to stop them five scandinavians were taken to hospital only one was detained even though the night before they had stabbed john johnson um and in an effort to then arrest the black people that had gone to retaliate they raided boarding houses used by the black seamen in Liverpool um, because some of them obviously could afford to maybe find somewhere to stay, not necessarily all of them were on the streets. They would have hostels and boarding houses where they would live um, and share rooms and pay kind of a small amount of rent as opposed to like renting a house, which are not, not many people did. Um, not many black people in that those days anyway would have been able to afford to do. Obviously, the jobs weren't there. So this raid took place on the 5th of June 1919 and one of the houses raided was 18 Upper Pitt Street and there lived um, a 24-year-old ship's fireman who uh, is said to be Bermudian and Trinidadian called Charles Wooten. Um, He had been discharged from the Navy um, the previous March um, and he, when the house was raided, he he ran from the house. Um, I would 
probably argue in fear, although nobody had his account of the, the evening of the night. Um, he ran out in fear. He was chased um, by two policemen, but also a mob of about 300 people, white people, um, who were hurling missiles and stones at him. He wasn't actually involved in the retaliation attack on the Scandinavian men. Um, he, I think, ran out in fear um, and then was obviously pursued um, and thought maybe thought to be guilty or maybe it's the fact that a black man is running and these jobless people wanted to take out their frustrations on black people and so pick Charles Wooten. So off they went, they chased him. Um, they caught him on the edge of, I think it's Queen's Dock. Queen's Dock or King's Dock? I've actually read conflicting information. Um, I've heard, I've read both, essentially, in accounts of this. Either way, a body of water. Um, and they caught him on the edge. Um, the There are conflicting accounts. There's accounts that say the lynch mob, um, they tore him down from where he was kind of, not necessarily hiding, but standing, um, and threw him into the water. And there's other accounts that he ran into the water to flee. Um, and apparently the, the mob were shouting, let him drown, let him drown. They pelted him with stones as he swam around. And it's said to, it's said to have been the case that one hit him in the head um, and killed him. And he died in the water. His corpse was was dragged out by police um, later that night um, and no arrests were made. And you're probably thinking, well, that escalated very quickly um, because that essentially was a public lynching, very similar to, to the ones that kind of happened in America that are said to be a problem that only America historically faced. And, well, I say historically, but... They're still happening now. Um, this obvious lynching was not, you know, a man tied to a tree, as scenes have have been depicted in America, but he was he was chased into a body of water and stoned until he died. Um, his body was lifeless and limp, being pulled out of the water. Sorry, I said this would be upbeat, but there's absolutely nothing upbeat that I can actually <laughs> nothing I can do to make a public lynching of a black man who has just served in World War One, in the Royal Navy, the British Royal Navy, upbeat. There is nothing but disgust. That is the only thing that I can feel about this situation and more so the fact that this is not something I knew about. This is not something I was taught in school. This is not something we think about when we remember all those people that gave their life to fight for Britain, um, despite the fact that you know, they weren't from necessarily Great Britain as the country. They were from a colony or from another part of the world. They still were happy to give their lives. They gave limbs. Um, and this was this was the response that they were given. This is how this is the thanks that they received. They were lynched. Um, yeah, I kind of wish that was the end of the story. And we would find out who who threw the stones that killed Charles Newton and who were the police officers and we would know all that information and they would be held accountable but you know as you can assume they weren't I think the case like went to to be heard in the court and it was just like dismissed within like a day not really a big deal um according to to people in Liverpool in 1919 and it's only kind of more recently I say more recently not necessarily like now but you know in the past like 
years that these these stories have been brought to light um because in 1919 it it was it is has been recorded in newspapers there are you know archives that have found reports of the lynching of charles Wooten. it's not referred to as a lynching um it's it is there in the historical records um but little has been made of it um when you think about how significant it was um so the riots you know we haven't even got into them yet they were kind of i think they were you could say they started with with charles Wooten in a sense um and the the events of the days before um because i don't know if that was like fuel fuel to the fire of these these racist mobs but they came out at night um in gangs well organized gangs as been described by quite a few historians um their strength varied from around 2000 to 10000 Ten, yeah i said 10000 that's 10000 angry white men um maybe women as well uh that were coming out to to hunt black people uh and to just kind of cause a fray and riot and discomfort and tension and and violence on the streets of liverpool um people had to be rehomed women and children were were rehoused in like temporary places because the violence was so bad can you imagine ten thousand people they attacked beat up stabbed like all the black people that they could find and as i said at the start some black people were homeless at the time uh because they didn't have anywhere to live after the war with no income um yeah they were they were chased beaten and these are recorded in in newspapers of the time such as the times um and so you know we have actual record of this type of thing um you know they'd hunt them down in the streets uh black people obviously tried to fight back um but you know the numbers weren't really in their favor as we said it was around 2000 to to 5000 black men and don't get me wrong i doubt they would have all been available to fight especially as ex-servicemen who have lost potentially limbs mentally they might not have been in good places because you know we know war has a detrimental effect on mental health um whilst that wouldn't necessarily have been recorded or diagnosed at the time you can imagine the the state um of of these men that were involved in this um yeah they were wrecking houses looting certain um the homes of, of black people on fire um and lo- the lodging houses and boarding houses as well um and hostels um essentially just just trying to find as many black people as possible and um harm them or kill them if they could um yeah so as we wrap this episode up i wanted to go into maybe some of the newspapers um the editorial comments about the riots that were being published at the time now you know there were about 10,000 white people mobbing mobbing in the streets um but I'm sure you're aware I'm sure you've guessed it that it was black people that were blamed by the media for these um problems um and for these riots um I'll read out one this is taken from um the Liverpool Courier um and it's demanded the stern punishment of black scoundrels the article um, I've taken this from Peter Fryer's Staying Power. Um, he uses an excerpt from the Liverpool Courier just to give him his credit because I have not been searching the Liverpool Courier archives. Um, so it reads, One of the chief reasons of popular anger against the present disturbances lies in the fact that the average Negro 
is nearer the animal than is the average white man and that there are women in Liverpool who have no self-respect. The white man regards the black man as part child, part animal and part savage. It is true that many of the blacks in Liverpool are of a low type, that they insult and threaten respectable women in the street and that they are invariably unpleasant and provocative. I just find it awfully, awfully interesting that when these black men that were part child, part animal, part savage were fighting in the war, nobody was describing them as part child, part animal, part savage. Everybody was all happy that they were helping win the war. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so in the Manchester Guardian, it was reported that... The people here understand the Negroes. They know that most of them are only big children who, when they get money, like to make a show. The Negroes would not have been troubled, would not have been touched, sorry, but for their relations with white women. This has caused the entire trouble. So both of these accounts um, have, have linked back to this idea of, of white men complaining that you know black people are taking their women um very interesting it's a common theme that comes up and is spoken about um, and obviously the idea of mixed race children is still a huge problem at that point it's a huge problem for decades after that um but you know then the fact that black men and white women were having relationships sexual relationships was clearly a big issue that needed ten thousand men to go and riot about um very interesting to me and so we get on to our final comment of the evening this magistrate must have been you know he had his glasses on this day we, we thank we thank heavens um although there's not really much to, to be thankful about in this situation i can't lie um you know the local magistrate said it was the white mobs which were making the name of liverpool an abomination and a disgrace to the rest of the country to that, Mr. Magistrate, I completely agree. Um, the fact that <laughs> there were publications that were even trying to pin this issue on black people to degrade them into being less than human or big children is absolutely disgusting considering considering any considering nothing, as human beings, there is absolutely no need or reason to be degrading people into animalistic status let alone people that have just fought for you in the war and it's always this thing of like we measure how people should be treated by their contribution well not today even though these people made a phenomenal contribution to this country they shouldn't have been treated even if they'd done nothing they shouldn't have been treated like that lynch mobs lynch have you ever heard of lynch mobs in britain no haven't it's definitely been erased from the narrative and i would like that to be taught i'd like everything to be taught but I'm not in charge yet. Um, so that essentially sums up the quote-unquote race riots um, in the ni- in 1919. There were way more than just Liverpool, as I said. Similar problems were happening across the across Britain, not just the country. So in Cardiff, um, in Glasgow, I believe, um, and in other poor cities. So in summary, this has been quite a big episode in regards to you know in insane events we've had or we've we've talked about the lynching of charles wooten um by a mob of two to three hundred and police officers that were present and nothing was done about that 
And then you've got the nights and nights of, of mobbing and rioting and fighting and looting and arson and violence orchestrated by these white mobs. And the blame that is then put on black black men, black ex-servicemen who essentially just, just want to work or go home. Um, they don't want to be destitute. They don't want to be selling their clothes to pay for food. They don't want to be sleeping on the streets or in these hostels. Um, but that's the situation they have found themselves in at the close of the war. Um, and I think it just kind of goes to show just how black people were treated after the war, after their, their service to this country. And it's a common it's a common narrative. It's nothing new, even though we're going all the way back to 1919. I say all the way back. This is some early history for me. Um, but it's the same story and the same you know, thing of, of black people coming to this country to serve this country and being treated so horrendously. This case is obviously um, significantly more violent and tragic than maybe we have seen with the Windrush generation. Um, however, it, it still, it just kind of reigns clear um, what, what the British people, government's empire felt about their black subjects. That is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll be back next week where we will be talking about uh, immigration and some of the immigration acts of the past that have shaped the way we view immigration today. Uh, So please do come back next week and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. Bye.